Buonasera a tutti, good evening and welcome to the Italian Radio Hour. Io sono Viviana and I would like to welcome back our regular listeners and also welcome any new listeners. Also be sure to like us on Instagram and Facebook at Italian Radio Hour and subscribe to our YouTube channel to catch up on any past video interviews. Vorrei dare il benvenuto ai nostri ascoltatori da tutto il mondo, grazie per essere con noi anche oggi mentre continuiamo il nostro viaggio per l'Italia e la cultura italiana. For those of you who are passionate about Italian lifestyle, elegant homes and appreciation for the beauty and the magic of Italy, you are in for a treat today. As I will be joined in this conversation by the extraordinary, elegant and dynamic duo of Susan Gravely, the founder and creative director of Vietri, and Francis Mays, the international author, fellow entrepreneur and longtime friend of Susan, who has also written the foreword to Susan's book, Italy on a Plate. In her debut memoir and cookbook, Susan celebrates 40 years as founder and creative director of Vietri. Part memoir, Italy on a Plane, is uh, on a plate is an exploration of uh, what makes Italy so magical. Its staggering beauty, the unparalleled style, artistic legacy, and incredible food. The close friends Gravely has made during her years, in uh, during her Italian travels, have gracious graciously shared their homes and their favorite family recipes. And this book gives a culinary tour of Italy's flavors with recipes that you will enjoy with loved ones for years to come. Ma prima, pubblicità. Parli italiano? Do you want to learn, improve or master your Italian? Istituto Mondo Italiano can help. Located in the heart of Regent Square, Mondo Italiano offers small group classes and one-on-one private tutoring to help you learn Italian in no time. Visit us online at www.istitutomondoitaliano.org. Well, ladies, benvenuti al programma. Welcome to the program, Susan and Francis. How are you? Grazie, grazie. <laughs> buonasera, buonasera. It is such a pleasure and honor to have you uh, taking time on uh, your busy, busy schedules and uh, to share with um, our audience um, uh, some of the greatest news also uh, both of you share with your books and everything. But I would like first to reach out on my beautiful copy of Italy on a Plate and um, Susan, congratulations on the birth of your nth baby, <laughs> so to speak. Thank you, grazie. Because this is 240 pages of pure marvel. Uh, it is so elegantly laid back. Uh, the recipes are wonderful. And uh, thank you and uh, to all the friends that have contributed. And uh, we will be talking also um, about uh, the people that have been instrumental in your uh, 40 years with uh, Vietri and also Francis' contribution as well. And uh, I just can't wait to dive in into uh, the conversation. Uh, so 40 years is a, is a very nice, it's a wonderful milestone uh, for uh, Vietri. And uh, I always like to start our conversations and interviews establishing a little bit the connection between our guests and, uh, and Italy. Um, but before doing that, actually I want to go one step back uh, to find out a little bit about your upbringing and uh, whether this attention to the details and the tables and traveling was already part of what you were exposed to as a, as a young woman, as a young girl, or if this appreciation for lifestyle and Italy is something that came later in your life. So um, thank you, Viviana, for having both of us. And um, I need to first thank Frances. Uh, she has been a mentor and a friend and an encourager for me for many years. And so it's always a privilege to be with you. We had fun with this, didn't we? We had a great time. And Francis came up with the title, which we'll tell you about later. Um, Francis and I are both Southern women. Uh, we grew up in small towns. I grew up in North Carolina and you grew up in Georgia. In Georgia. 
for me, Viviana, my father was an international tobaccoman and we had cotton and tobacco in Eastern North Carolina and he was involved in tobacco. My grandfather on my mother's side was in cotton and in our home, we had foreigners always so that if they were from Rhodesia or from China or from Africa or the Middle East or Italy, daddy would bring out our uh, stand up globe and he'd put one finger on Rocky Mount, North Carolina and another on where they were from. And he always said, you're only a phone call or a plane ticket away. So make sure you travel and see the world because it's so small. And so that was kind of my upbringing. I was, as a little girl, I, you know, I would dress up and I would serve our guest drinks and I would serve the, you know, bring the, the tray of whatever cigarettes they were talking about. And then I would help mama set the table. So being around the table was always very significant in our lives as meeting new people, hearing new adventures, learning about the world and, and expanding what we called a family. Mm -hmm. Very similar to you, right, Francis? No, I grew up in a very small town in Georgia and we never met any foreigners <laughs> at all. <laughs> And I happened to be a reader. So my idea of the bigger world came from books. And I first connected with Italy because of taking art history classes. Wow. We're having a little and technical wanted... difficulty with. We're having difficulty again. Why don't we do it through my phone and see? We're stuck again. Of, uh, uh, here we go. We are back. Good, good. <laughs> I was just saying that I, when I went to college, I took a lot of art history. So as soon as I took those classes, I couldn't wait to go to Italy to see all the things that I had studied. And so that was my real first pull toward Italy was art. But as soon as I got there, I realized that, uh, people there were having a lot more fun than we were. And <laughs> I kind of adapted immediately to the Italian way of life. And ever since then, I had gone back on every occasion I could possibly go. And we bought our house there uh, 30 years ago. So I have a long, I feel almost like a native, but of course you never are. You're always, uh, you know, the foreigner in the Italian culture because it's so homogeneous still. Mm -hmm. And um, I feel like I still have so much to learn about Italy, even though I've written all these books about it. Exactly. <laughs> well, you were, uh, well, um, yes, obviously the, 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 uh, you're wonderful. And I do have also um, your, uh, the place in the world, but I think um, by using the title of your book, I'm actually going to back to uh, Susan to trace back maybe her first trip to Italy or the one that was so meaningful that eventually made Italy her place in the world. Uh, yes. That was a lucky trip. That was a lucky trip, <laughs> yes. And I'll, I'll give you a little background where Frances was a reader and she explored Italy in her mind. I was a people person and I was a listener. So for me, I just knew that the world was something I needed to explore. And I went to a lot of places before Italy. I think deep down somehow I knew that once I got to Italy, it would have such an impact on my life. I wouldn't go anywhere else or didn't want to go anywhere else. So <laughs> my first trip to Italy was the trip that mama and daddy had planned and I was in New York at the time. My sister Frances had had her second baby. She was in Chapel Hill and she called and said, I want to take the trip. Your father and I planned where you go. And from that moment to the rest of her life, if she ever invited us on a trip, we stopped everything and went because her attitude was, you need to travel better than you live at home or why travel? So I was uh, 31 years old. I was living in New York. 
I was in kind of an impasse of what I was going to do. And we flew over on Alitalia. My sister went to the business class to uh, use the ladies room. In those days, you could do that. Met this gentleman, this Italian, who ended up coming back and was curious about a mother and two daughters. And he gave us his card. Mm -hmm. We thought that was quite nice. We thought, well, we're heading to Italy now. <laughs> and we went down to the Amalfi Coast and stayed at a beautiful hotel called the San Pietro. And there, when you go through the rock down to the living space, you mm -hmm. see these cotton covered, um, the cotton white furniture and the dark tiles and bougainvillea all over the walls. Still there. Still exactly yeah. the same. And it enters into the dining room where all the plates of, uh, the one behind you, the peche um, plate, they were all mixed, different colors, different animals. And we said, we need to go and find this factory. So we hired a driver and uh, uh, who spoke English and Italian and ended up spending three days there thinking we should buy for ourselves, buy for our friends, buy for our family, to sitting with a couple from New York who said, you're clearly interested in design and a bigger picture. Why don't you design and import? And it was that miraculous as far as uh, having that the first trip and thinking that we would start a company. So mm -hmm. there you go. Isn't that marvelous when you meet someone who gets you to the next place, that offers that, that galvanizing tip, you know, yeah. that makes you suddenly say, oh yeah, that's right, let's do this. <laughs> and, and that's so much what Italy is about because the, the, the country is still filled with the emotional, mentality or the reality of artisans mm -hmm. yes and the and the crafts of everything from food to stone masonry as you know well to gardening to um knowing you know never asking what you do they always ask um how are you and you talk about what's planted mm -hmm. and what there is to eat so that is uh when we were first there and we were starting the renovation of our house, throwing things out the window, getting it cleared up, we could hear people passing down in the road and all they talked about was food. Was, <laughs> these people think of nothing but food and then suddenly we did too. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, yes, because uh, I think it's the whole experience of conviviality, being together, catching up on your day, experimenting style. Um, it is not just what goes uh, through your mouth. And also, you know, in certain cases, the elevation of the experience of what uh, goes into your mouth to, as an expression of uh, all senses. So just as I said, we don't want to take anything for granted. We know that Vietri is a worldwide and international uh, name. Uh, can you uh, tell us, um, uh, Susan, what Vietri um, specializes? Yes, we, first off, we named it Vietri because the first factory we worked with was in the small town of Vietri Sulmari, which in the medieval time was called Vetro Sulmari, glass on the sea, because it was a glass blowing village. Mm -hmm. It involved into Vietri. And when we went there and started working with the factory, we were driving back and talking about the, we're going to do this. And one of us said, you know, in French, trois vies, reversing the syllables would be three lives, or in Italian, tre vite, three lives. And we said, well, if they can pronounce it, they'll never forget it. So um, that's how we started. We started with the dinnerware that is in the picture mm -hmm. where the dedication is. So it's yes. a beautiful picture of all the mix and match patterns. Mm -hmm. some of which we've created, some of which have always been part of their heritage. Mm -hmm. And we now sell to over 2,000 independent stores, top luxury department stores online. Mm 
Mm -hmm. And we sell exclusively handmade, mouth-blown uh, <laughs> Italian dinnerware and tabletop accessories. So it could be flatware, glass, linens. Beautiful glasses. Yeah, really glasses are really special. And there are glass blowers still in Italy. People ask us all the time, but they are there. And then we do garden accessories as well. So we have stayed our mission of bringing joy and <laughs> we hope and, and pieces that create memories for their own table and for their own entertaining and being together. Um, I must say though that I, I know that there's a lot about the setting of the beautiful table and the plates, but this is also a big book about friendship because Susan, it, she said earlier, she's a people person and having been to all these villages over the years, she has made friends all over Italy. And I think that is what gives such an incisive sense of knowing the country. These friends of hers have shared their tables. They've shared their recipes. These are not, um, these are not made up recipes by a chef. These are from the homes of all these friends who have set the table and invited her to their homes. And I think that is what is incredibly special about it. That mm -hmm. you, your, your journey there, your 40 years of going, you just got back in the rainiest time of the coldest time, right. had a marvelous time because <laughs> she visited friends in Este, she visited friends in Friuli, all the way down uh, to Sicily. So yeah. this, this book just is burgeoning with feelings about life around the table being what it's all about. Mm -hmm. that, that's where we come together. That's where life happens. That's the context of your life. You're going to eat every day. So the friendship, the way the food is presented, the food itself, the place, it's just this book has just got such a life in it. And it's, it's Susan's life. <laughs> oh. So talking about the importance of uh, sharing a meal with people that are dear to you, important to you. Uh, in, your, in your book, you devote uh, a few pages actually to a very special family, the Solimene family. And you describe your first meal, the first invitation by Don Vincenzo. Um, and uh, let's talk a little about, about um, Don Vincenzo as a figure. Um, I believe he had 10, 10, 10 children, and I wonder he how did. many of them might be uh, involved in the business. Uh, you also noted that uh, he was uh, um, also a man that really cared for his employees. At 10 o'clock, there was an espresso and a cappuccino distribution. Uh, so how do you... How did you feel um, when this uh, invitation to join them for their family meals uh, come about? And tell us a little bit, um, describe the experience and again, who the family is and how, it, how important it is for your business. Well, the family was the most well-known family on the Amalfi Coast for ceramic. And uh, as, as you've seen in the book, there's a wonderful picture of their factory in Vietri Sulmari, where we named the company. Don Vincenzo is this gentleman with um, many of his daughters, as well as my mother. He, um, he was a, a man of few words. He had five daughters and five sons, and today nine out of 10 work at the factory. The oldest son, Tony Solimeni, now heads the company. I was never invited for dinner, for lunch. I did not know where they went for lunch. I, I would bring something or just continue being there until one day he said, Vini con me, vini con me, come with me. And he led me up this back elevator and then up some steps and through two different doors. And there we were in their home, which was on the top of their beautiful factory. They had a, an enormous table that was against the uh, one of the sides of the kitchen and the an, uh, uh, an unwed sister, his wife and another woman were cooking 
and everyone sat down and that table fit about 25 people, all family members. I didn't speak Italian that well at that point. And I sat down with them and all the food was passed and we ate. And I realized it was a magical moment of being invited into their family. It was the moment that I knew that I was an integral part of, of, of not only their ceramic and, but also the meaning, the feeling of the craft and their life. So uh, after that, I never took it for granted. They invited me and I would go up and have uh, lunch with them. Uh, and it was only family, only family. And the children would be scurrying around. And uh, so that was that was the event that was the first around the table, whether, and it was a real table of being with the Solimenis. Mm-hmm. Always uh, pasta. Always pasta. Pasta, pasta, and pasta. And uh, I see a beautiful polypod uh, uh, as well here. And uh, also, in, uh, while you're talking about the family, um, I would like for you to maybe tell us a little bit more about the, the production of the pieces. You definitely spent time talking about the craftsmanship. Um, also, uh, I think it's uh, Mr. Potenza, so to speak, people that have designed certain uh, styles. And uh, so maybe if we can um, share how the process works uh, for the production of these beautiful pieces. And actually this is the gentleman that I was referring to. And actually, if you see some of the designs, you can um, recognize them as well here. Yes, the fish that's behind you, Viviana, was the first design that we did. And Potenza was the very first person I ever worked with. There's some earlier pictures of him when he was young with Don Vincenzo. And Uh every time I go, I first go to see him. He's now over 80 years old. He's still working at the factory because he loves it. The process is fascinating because it's, of course, evolved within the years. But it's a red clay terracotta. It's, um, it, it, it sits to dry until it feels a certain density. And in this factory, they still do it by hand. It's then glazed and over the, it, it's glazed and after they paint on the red ceramic. So the red ceramic, when they paint, the colors are not necessarily the colors that you're going to see on the design because a dark blue could be a purple or it could be a green or it could be the marine blue. But in this particular design that um, that you see behind you, I sat with their agent and I wanted a fish and I didn't speak very uh, good English, I mean Italian, and that fish, I'd keep looking at our agent and I'd kind of be saying bigger, bigger, più grande, più grande, and then then I'd look at the lips and I'd say buca, which is not the word library, and I'd say a bigger, bigger, he'd make them bigger, bigger, and I looked at our agent and I looked at that fish and realized I had just painted the profile of our agent, Fabio. <laughs> so every time I see that fish, I think of that first moment with that agent and painting Lubeck. So um, it's a beautiful process. Then those pieces are taken, they're fired in a kiln and it's a, it's a tunnel kiln that could take up to 18 hours from cold up to the top heat and then down. And I must say, I've worked with them for 40 years. They were the first, we still work with them. They're still one of our top vendors and uh, the product is high quality. And even though it's earthenware, it's very, very durable. Durable, Mm -hmm. indeed. So So many of the companies you work with are family companies, aren't they? Yes. And that's one thing I really admire about Italy, so many of the really successful worldwide companies are family companies. Yes. And they manage, you know, to be creative among themselves and 
not kill each other and just, you know, really <laughs> stimulate each other and work together. No, mm -hmm. this is true. And, you know, from South to North, families work differently mm -hmm. together. But in mm -hmm. the South, there is a hierarchy. The first son is going to lead the group. And if there mm -hmm. are differences in the families, they will work them out through the firstborn child. Mm -hmm. And that's Tony Solimeni that we work with. But I came from a small family business. So I was mm -hmm. very comfortable with being in a small group, brainstorming with them. Um, and through the years working with the same people over and over, now they anticipate what we're interested in. I um, send them ideas and inspirations. And we're now not only working in red clay, we work in white earthenware, we work in stoneware so that we, and we work in a stoneware that's strong enough for restaurants. So they have evolved in their clays. And depending upon the clay, you either paint on the clay bisque or you paint on the glaze. And then they produce mm -hmm. different kind of uh, strengths and different looks in glass. Uh, yeah. in, I mean, in, in ceramic. I'm looking at some of the pictures and also going back I do see a lot of family pictures, fourth generation, for instance, the Pieracciolis family and so forth. So uh, you see that the craft is passed on, and maybe an enhanced, maybe uh, they um, expand and so forth. So there are indeed, um, all the stories are fascinating. And again, when you devote also some of the pictures to see how the piece is created, once uh, you own a, pay, a, a piece, all of a sudden you ele um, elevate the value of it because it's not just the aesthetic beauty that you appreciate. Now you're really into feeling those, the design or maybe Maestro Potenza on his little stool bent over on a piece. Um, so it is it is really an, an experience to own a, a Vietri uh, piece. Now, I would like to bring also Francis into the conversation with how, um, how did you uh, meet Susan? And was it thanks to uh, her business or maybe because you were both uh, in uh, North Carolina? Yeah. I was working down here on furniture collection and the people I was working with put me in touch with Susan and her sister Frances because we thought it would be great to have a line of dinnerware that went with the furniture. So we got together that way. It was very easy and we made this beautiful Brahmasole dinnerware which is named after my house. And I still use it every single day. Exactly. <laughs> it's a beautiful dinnerware that uh, Brett's run down to get a piece just to see if we can show it to you. But we, um, I mean, honest to God, I fell in love with Frances Mays because not only is Frances a writer, but her creativity expands into her food and, and the way she lives and the the craft that she goes and finds in Arezzo and the furniture designs. And so here I was being asked to, to go to a furniture manufacturer to meet her. And she had done an entire group of furniture <laughs> and because of Under the Tuscan Sun. And that was just the beginning. That was just about the time the movie came out. So there was a whole lot going on by yeah. the time. We quickly discovered we were both house obsessed, you know, not just China, but everything else, everything on the wall, everything on the table, exactly. everything. Exactly. So she was first, she knew my sister Frances first. Mm -hmm. I mean, we met from a business point of view and then Frances and her husband and Ed and Frances uh, did quite a few things together. And then I kind of slipped myself <laughs> back in on the business side and uh, took over. So, and this is such yeah. a pleasure. We just love this. Look, isn't that beautiful? It is, it is fantastic. And uh, so now, obviously, you're women entrepreneurs, and that's also one of the things that... <clears throat> 
I like to uh, explore a little bit because I'm sure there have been uh, challenges um, throughout these 40 years and uh, um, and also great opportunities for uh, for growth. So um, how any uh, and including the pandemic, by the way, that uh, revolutionized the way that we do business. And uh, so um, maybe, Susan, if you can elaborate um, how maybe new strategies, new things that um, had to uh, you had to put in place to make sure that um, maybe the creation of the book. So tell us a little bit how um, you cope with uh, these two years of uncertain future uh, during those two years. It was really interesting for us because we had found that before the pandemic, our business was growing, but not growing at the leaps and bounds it had, say, the 10 years before. And we were traveling and doing plate signings and we were uh, had a showroom in New York and and our reputation was thank goodness very good and we were creating wonderful designs but we were always thinking what's the next step how do you what's the, what's the next niche for our business and here came the pandemic so I had a sleepless night and woke up and thought we need to partner more closely with our stores and help them learn strategically how to keep selling. And that was through creating websites mm -hmm. and bringing in ideas of how people could still contact them, maybe leave things at the door and, and other ways. Well, with people being home, they started looking in their cupboards they got sick of their dusty house. They started cleaning up and they wanted new. And we were mm. totally available by phone. We never closed and online. And we, the, our bigger department store said, will you drop ship for us? We said, yes. We kept teaching our stores how to um, be closer to their customers. So our business doubled the first year of the pandemic mm -hmm. because of it. Now that caused a lot of other problems. <laughs> and what we uh, would say to our team is that life is up and down. It's gonna be up and down in your personal life. It's gonna be up and down in your professional life, in your artistic life, in your philosophical life. Mm -hmm. And that what we need to do is sit back a little bit more than we're used to and see what the flow creates mm -hmm. and then just try to stay in a much less severe ebb and flow and it all will move forward mm -hmm. and it has so mm -hmm. um that's kind of my philosophy on business and on life which is i'm a go-getter i'm an extrovert but don't take it too high and too low don't as long as you can, yeah find some solutions and keep trying it all works out wonderful and were you able to travel then uh, to, could no. you go to italy at all or no couldn't so couldn't everything go. was digital everything was digital and the other thing we did is we told our vendors we were going to support them so we when they were down to you know, a third of their workers or, you know, workers in Italy could not drive more than five kilometers. Five kilometers yeah. is nothing. We said, we will take your product. So mm -hmm. they kept making, they kept um, being in business and then they're slowly, trucks were coming, slowly the boats mm -hmm. were, were leaving, but we were faithful to our suppliers as well. So we said, we're here for you. We plan to keep going. And so let's just all work as slowly or as quickly as we could. And it worked out. You should write a you? book about how to run a company, Susan. I mean, <laughs> you're such a great business person because your company is based on humane values. Yeah. It's based on kind of a sense of family, which must have come through what you realized all through the time you were working in Italy. But I mean, the people at Vietri are united. They are yeah. treated well. They are respected. And 
well, that I, makes all the difference. I think, again, it's a background. You mm-hmm. know, we, we grew up with seeing people as people mm-hmm. and being curious about people for people. And um, I just, um, you know, I'm the head of the company. I don't run the company. The company is run by managers. And Mm -hmm. it's about their ability to feel a part Mm -hmm. of the company. And are they motivated or are they not motivated? I go as quickly as they go. And if it slows down, my job is to ask why and to probe Mm -hmm. and to try to build it back up. But I I, I think that, that also comes out of a lot of your writings. I mean, that is what our Southern life was, wasn't it? Yes, I think so. And I think in your case, one of the great motivators is that you often take teams to Italy. Yes, you're right. They they get to really experience what they're doing firsthand. Um, I mean, writing's so different. It's such a solitary activity. And um, you're lucky if you have a few readers who can tell you the truth. I mean, my husband is my first reader, but he thinks everything I do is perfect. So it's not really that lucky. lucky. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you need a good editor, like in your business, you yeah. need people to tell you the truth. This design is not good, or let's go mm-hmm. with this. That's you know, right. The uh, Having a community around what you do is a gift. And mm-hmm. um, as a writer, it's not as easy because... Um, you in writing you're really feeling yourself uh, you're feeling your way along but here's a difference Viviana in how I see our lives I'm around a lot of people I travel and go to factories and I get home and I hide because I need to refresh and sometimes it's just that I need to be able to hear the sounds outside again Mm-hmm. And I need to be able to hear the wind, but hear the bird behind it to feel refreshed. Mm-hmm. The beautiful thing about Frances and her husband, Ed, is though you write and that's solitary, they always welcome people into their home. Always. They love to cook. They love to share. I was in Cortona and the masonry fellow was bringing cookies to them <laughs> from their home. Mm-hmm. And she was giving them bread that she had made. And so whether it's in what part of your life, there's both, right? Yes, an intense sense of community, particularly yeah. in Italy, mm. is very nurturing, very inspiring for writing. Because there, I think there's this generosity in oh. Italy that I don't really experience anywhere else. I mean all my neighbors and all my friends here are absolutely wonderful and generous, but I'm talking it's so about natural. I'm talking about a larger community, like somebody you hardly even know brings you melons out of their garden. Right. There's this gift exchange constantly there. That's not just your intimate circle with where you expect that and love that, but this is a bigger circle. There's a sense of intense community especially in small towns in Italy and but, I hear that your dinner parties uh Francis if I might interrupt I have a little bit of that mix of um, uh your friends other people there uh, matter to you uh tell me a little bit about your format of your dinner party so here there is a lot of coming to see what is happening in the kitchen I guess uh before oh, yeah. transitioning. so it's not just that formal you're getting invited and it's coming together and be part of the experience from beginning to end yes the weird thing is here i often have dinners for six or eight but somehow in italy it's hard to limit in your imagination the number of people at the table early on my neighbor said to me 20 is a good number for dinner right and 20 here would be just a major undertaking but there you know, you throw on another handful of pasta, you pull up another chair. Things don't have to be so elaborated. It's simple. Mm-hmm. And I just love cooking with Italian ingredients because the ingredients are so Ugh. primo. 
that you don't have to do a lot to them. When I see an Italian recipe with a list of ingredients, I know it's not, not Italian. It's right. not authentic because they don't have to do that. They've got the, you know, the finest ingredients and something as simple as a caprese, oh. you know, can be sublime or ridiculous depending on the mozzarella, the tomatoes, the quality of the olive oil and the basil. Yeah. But uh -huh. if you've got those great ingredients, then having the bigger table, inviting people spontaneously, it, it's just easier. Exactly. And, and you know, that was one of the things, Viviana, I found out by doing this book. When I, when I thought in my mind, who did I want, who had really been impacts in these four years, impactful in these four years, and I asked them, when I asked them for recipes, it was so easy. And mm -hmm. every recipe is easy. I made some um, uh, these fritelle uh, di uh, mele. Uh, I uh -huh. made these apple fritters yesterday morning. Uh -huh. And I had made them once before. And I wanted to surprise the people that were spending the night with us. They were so fresh and so easy and I tell everyone the beauty about Italian cooking and the beauty of having people share their recipes is that they're easy mm -hmm. and um it it makes that's what Italy for me is about mm, I, that's good. doesn't that look good that's so yeah. good and that's the cuisine with shallots and oh my and goodness I, I'm just eating so here's Frances and Ed, her husband with my husband and me. And then Fran I will tell you that Frances's recipes I have done over and over. I've done these peas. They are so fabulous. She also does wonderful crostini. She does the classic risotto primavera that you know uh -huh. well, Viviana. But the thing I tell everybody, without a doubt, they have to make in store that I'd never thought about were these Frolini al profumo di orange salvia. It is orange and sage shortbread yes. cookies. And it's the sage that brings mm -hmm. this freshness to your mouth with the orange that Francis said the first time to me, oh, make the roll out the dough, put it in your freezer, and only cut a couple when you want them. There's no <laughs> way. There's that was the difficult part, not the recipe, resisting the eating them all. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So um, so this will be a fun book to cook your way through. Exactly. Because it also introduces you to various areas in Italy. So, yeah, so, I like know every area, there are 20 regions. I've been to all of them. Each one is different. That's right. The food, the dialect, the art, everything's different. In each well, the area. tomato and mozzarella that we did, and in one region they add olives, mm -hmm. and it's delicious with that touch of olive. The same thing, but it has olives. Unexpected, yes. Uh, we obviously work with a lot of students who are going to Italy, whether it's their first time or their nth time, and uh, we always like to put them into this mood of getting prepared for the trips by usually recommending a book or activities that they can do with their family and friends because you want to have a supportive uh, 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 system around you. And uh, this is definitely going to be one of the books I will also recommend so that, that they can have these kind of study to embrace that lifestyle that they will be exposed to once they go to Italy. And uh, as you both have indicated, with the regional differences and the different foods that uh, um, each region has to um, has to offer. Uh, Francis, a little bit uh, about you. You have obviously a wonderful ability to uh, take us to so many different places. Mm -hmm. When you write about a place, how do you decide what that description should include? Uh, what are some of the elements that uh, you like to incorporate in, um, in 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 your writing as you taking your reader into a new place, a new space, a new experience. 
when I'm writing about a place, I do a lot of research before I go. That's part of the pleasure of travel to me is that long preparation where you get to yeah. anticipate and absorb what the place is going to be like. And I read the writers of that area, mm -hmm. listen to the music from that area, just give myself the gift of uh, getting a really good background on the place. Then I get there and I try to just put all that aside and take it in as if I hadn't read anything, just get there, take a long walk, get up early in the morning, just start taking notes. And I like to try to meet as many people as I can to mm -hmm. not go by uh, other guidebooks recommendations, but to make discoveries by following my own nose to the restaurant and Mm -hmm. asking say in the wine shop where do you take your family for a special exactly. meal not can you recommend a restaurant because they will probably tell you a tourist place but if you say where do you take your family mm -hmm. you can get a good recommendation mm -hmm. and after that it's just kind of the mystery of writing you try to recreate the place in words so that the reader can't help but absorb how you felt about the place, what you learned and what you can give them in terms of uh, a vision of the place. Um, and that's like a lot of revision and you know all that, but it's a pleasure because you get to have your own experience, your own <coughs> joy of discovery, but then when you sit down to write about it, you are recreating the experience again. So personally, you get to kind of double the experience or triple travel. yeah i mean for you i mean imagine having written under the tuscan sun how many years ago 100 and it's still watched by the next two generations in 70 languages and people it speaks to that beginning love affair of italy and what you created then I have to tell you just a quick story about Frances. I was visiting and we were in her garden, her front garden, and a car drove up and a young gal and, and gentleman got out of the car and we were going to walk into town. So Frances says, well, let's go this way because people come all the time. We go down to the gate. This couple were from Switzerland, right? Or Germany. Maybe. And she had her Number one thing she wanted to do was see Brahma Sole. Mm -hmm. And here's Frances. She opens the gate. She goes down. She greets them. She speaks with them. And this young girl will never forget it because mm -hmm. that movie and the book, she had read the book, she had seen the movie, had spoken to her so much as a young person and she was meeting Frances, who gave her time. Mm -hmm. Well, it's been a pleasure, you know, meeting people from all over the world. And oh. It's very flattering that someone comes to a place because of something you've written. Right, right. So people always say to me, you know, that must be a drag having people come to your house. All Never. Time. But it's actually been quite a pleasure. It's almost like... Um reliving that experience as you were saying before through the eyes of other people that experience your home for the first time right. and yeah. uh, everyone will probably catch different details or respond to the beauty of the place with a different sense of sensitivity um, that might complement obviously your own appreciation of uh, uh but have you done uh, recently any renovations there are some beautiful frescoes there do you, yes, do you scrape and, something and find something else? <laughs> we just did another round of renovation and we found new frescoes that were mm -hmm. underneath a layer of paint. We didn't even know after living there 30 years, we're still making discoveries there. And to me, that's the joy of old houses there. They always have something new for you. So here's a picture of a fresco that they uh -huh. found when they removed the paint in her, in her beautiful dining room. But another thing, when you were asking about women, I just love this so much about you. This paint, this picture right here 
where you where you see people that say these were icons from priests or monks these are icons from sisters mm -hmm. who chose to live their life as a as a catholic sister and they were their women icons that they prayed to every day Mm -hmm. And Francis then researched almost all of these icons to know what it was that brought this connection for nuns. That's a collection I've amassed over years. They were um, things that nuns made out of whatever was at hand, little bits of lace or foil or, you know, ribbon as the background they up made to somebody these things and yeah. then the pasted prayer cards that's oh. it's kind of like um, folk art in a way yes yeah. it's just made by untutored people but for a very personal holy reason very uh, and just th this i mean viviano the christini that she said oh this is mine <laughs> the beauty of how francis and ed live is this picture we did not style. It's mm -hmm. on the page uh, one, my eyes are so bad, 50, I think. Now that you have that, is that one? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 150, this correct. Is, this is the way it just sat. Mm -hmm. And for someone who's visual and loves Italy and has all those senses enlightened, this is just pretty amazing for me. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I, I, I know it's not much, but it's everything. It is everything. So we have a few minutes left before the end of this conversation and talking about someone pretty amazing and beautiful. Uh, let's talk oh. about this amazing couple. Uh, well, <laughs> Bill, your guardian, such a your guardian angel here, uh, Bill. Uh, so I love, uh, when I was, uh, looking at, uh, the tablecloth that, um, you have on, it just, it caught my attention. Can you tell us a little bit the story about this beautiful? Um... Well, my, um, my maternal grandparents loved to travel as well. And, and there was a big map of the world and they put pins everywhere they went. And this was a, a beautiful tablecloth they bought in Murano in, probably 1930 uh, really and I my mother and father had it and then I was given this tablecloth so um it it means a lot it's a family piece it has wonderful old historical stains on it that I love <laughs> and can hide with something underneath and then the glasses were my mother's these are Murano uh red which is the the royal color for um venice and these were uh, my mother's glasses and again as a child or on holidays to get those out was very special to me so um that table represents kind of a lot of parts of my love for italy you know my mother would travel with me when we were designing product and there were times when she'd say why can't you be as relaxed and as happy in America as you are in Italy? I go, I don't know. There's just something about being here that fills me up. So thank you. So I'll definitely be in a Roman where artichokes have a special place on our table. And in my heart, I definitely will have to try your spinach with artichokes uh, recipe, Susan. That's I can uh, I can good. wait to uh, to do that. So, um, well, uh, what uh, what is coming uh, next for both of you? And uh, will you be transitioning to um, Italy or have some travels to Italy coming up? I'm going around the 1st of May, but just before that, I have a cookbook coming out called Pasta Veloce. I and hope you'll come so, back maybe to tell us about it. Yes, I'd love to. Um, I'm still working with my new book, um, A Place in the World, mm -hmm. and trying to write a novel. So, And can you tell them about the uh, long list? Oh, my book, A Place in the World, was nominated for the Penn Award for Best Essay. Top, right now, it's the one of 10 top 
books in America, and she will hear in the next couple of days if she makes the top five list. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and then tell them about how you traveled for the pasta cookbook. I love oh, the the main book I traveled for was always Italy, which I wrote for National Geographic. Right. That's what I went to all 20 regions of Italy for. And that was so much fun. Finished it just uh, as COVID hit. So I got to travel mm. and I just found that there were so many places in Italy that I could live. I arrived in Trento and I said to Ed, call the moving company. I want to live here. Just so many places, right. so many glorious places. Mm -hmm. And for you, uh, Susan? Well, I've just gotten back a week ago and was there for two and a half weeks going to see vendors. And that takes me all over Italy, which is a lot of fun. And I got to give a book to each of the people that I wrote about and they were it was my thoughts on them. So they had no idea what I was writing. And that was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. And I'll be going back uh, in September. I'm mm -hmm. taking a group for Southern Lady Magazine, Southern, I think it's Southern Living Magazine. And that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, they wanted to see Italy through my eyes. And then I'll you know, go see more vendors and work on more products. And come and, to Bramasole. And come to Bramasole. <laughs> um, I hope we can cross paths on that side of the ocean. Oh, uh, Viviana. Yes, that will be that will be an honor. So just a quick question to both of you. Uh, let's hear from both of you. So espresso or cappuccino? Oh, for me, cappuccino. If you could see me, you would know it was cappuccino. <laughs> <laughs> love cappuccinos my but husband, i love espresso my husband's five espressi a day no no question he has okay. espresso before he goes to bed at night wow it makes makes the two of us it just aids <laughs> sleep aids digestion i wouldn't do it otherwise <laughs> but viviana i will tell you there is nothing like an espresso after lunch mm -hmm. that really is if you ask me my favorite time to drink anything it would be that espresso after lunch okay so the next one is lunch or dinner both <laughs> <laughs> lunch or dinner I would say um that in my working life, it's lunch because I'm with vendors and we're away from the work and then we start talking about life and nature. So right now it's lunch. Okay. I actually love dinner parties that go yeah. on until one or two in the morning. And then they turn into breakfast. No, kidding. Uh, <laughs> favorite Italian sweet or dessert? Say that again? Uh, your favorite Italian sweet or dessert? Whether it's a gelato, gelato anytime. <laughs> Lemon hazelnut gelato. Oh. <laughs> I love affogatos. Mm -hmm. Again, I love that espresso with that vanilla sorbet mm -hmm. or vanilla ice gelato. Mm -hmm. Favorite thing to do together, the two of you? Talk. <laughs> Talk. <laughs> Talk a little I more. <laughs> uh favorite season to uh that you enjoy in in italy fall for me You're a fall person and how about you francis i could go anywhere between january and december and be fine yeah. i don't really have a favorite <laughs> and uh one last question your favorite spot or favorite view um still it's still in italy well, we've rented a, a wonderful apartment for the first three months, January, February, March, which I love because it's so quiet in Florence. And we look at the Ponte Vecchio. And so I look at it in mm -hmm. all colors of the day and night. And so I'd say right now that's still a favorite spot. My favorite is the view from my third floor study in my house. It looks out over the mm -hmm. valley. Mm. where Hannibal defeated the Romans. And it's just a peaceful view that hasn't changed in the 30 years that I've been there. And the other wall of my study, other corner has a, a window. 
So sometimes a bird or a butterfly will fly in one window and out the other. Oh. So it's a place where I've written 11 books. So that's my favorite view. You see why I'm in love with her, right? <laughs> I mean, this thing is something else. Imagine that. A bird or a butterfly flying into one and out the other. It is magic. Well, unfortunately, our time together is up. Il Big Ben ha detto stop. It's time for us to say arrivederci e alla prossima. We want to thank you for tuning in into the program. If you have any questions or comments or if you... Uh, have any trouble topics you would like us to address, please contact us at the Italian Radio Hour at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. And remember, if you or any of your family and friends have missed a prior episode or would like to listen to this episode again, please visit our website at www.istitutomondoitaliano.org and click on the Italian Radio Hour tab or listen to us where you catch your favorite podcast. I would like to thank our guests, Susan Gravely and Francis Mays, our sponsor, Istituto Mondo Italiano, alla Boara for the music. Until next time, alla prossima. Ciao, ciao. Ciao, ciao. Ciao, grazie. <laughs>